Good morning. Um, our first reading today is from Micah 6, um, verses 6 through 8. Um, with God, sorry, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The second verse is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And be sure of this always. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the word of God. All right. Well, good morning. You're going to have to bear with me in the technical world here, so we'll try to get it all together. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. So we are so excited to have an opportunity to share with you guys about our time in Liberia. And I wanted to give just a little bit of background. I mean, I know a lot of you know our story, um, but it kind of started a long time ago. Back when I was nine, I met Craig. Actually, it started longer ago here at Foothill Covenant Church where I was, how old was I, mom? Two, three? I don't know. I've been coming here since I was a toddler. <laughs> and at the ripe old age of nine, I met Craig Eklund in Sunday school, and we worked all the way up through high school together and into college and finally got married. And then we served. Craig, I think you can show the first picture. Oh, oh, I'm doing it. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> And fast forward, we spent 13 years serving with Mercy Ships. And this picture was taken um, when we were in Liberia in 2007. Hans, are you, sh are you shutting off the lights there? I think so we can see a little bit better. But I don't know if you can see. That's Kiara, just a little nubbin. And um, can you guys see if I, should I move this way, maybe? Would that be better? Does that work better for those of you on this side? Okay. Parents don't care. <laughs> okay. So anyways, we spent 13 years with Mercy Ships. We ended up in Liberia as one of our last places and had been praying about adopting. And um, God blessed us with Kiara in our life. And in, we then went through a little bit of an immigration nightmare, some of you might remember. And that left us with the ship sailing away and leaving us behind. And we lived on the beach. It was kind of a rough place to live, but we managed. <laughs> and um, this is a picture of us in 2009 in Liberia, shortly before we came back here. And we were grateful that God... Um, allowed Foothill Covenant Church to give us the opportunity to come back to this area. As you know, housing is very expensive. 13 years of volunteering doesn't buy you a house around here, but we are so grateful to have the opportunity to live in the Covenant House and for having you guys welcome us um, back here, making it possible for us to be here. So, um, you know, coming back was hard. Um, you know, you live in a place where there's poverty and people don't have a lot of things. You know, you talk about people, you know, looking for shoes. Um, you know, it is hard to imagine people in our area not having shoes um, or food. Um, but where we lived in Liberia, that was a real common thing. And the most common thing when people came and asked us for stuff was they just wanted their kids to be able to go to school. They were desperate for them to learn. Um, living in a country where there had been a civil war and the adults that were now having children, they had spent their youth running away trying to survive, living in the jungle, and not having an opportunity to go to school. So a lot of the parents that are raising children now don't know how to read or write. You heard Kiara say her mom does not know how to read, write, or even spell her name. And so it, it's so hard to even imagine that. But th these parents weigh just 
are desperate for their family to be and their children to have a better future and to be able to read and write. Um, so when we were there with Kiara, Craig's looking at me. Um, I know. <laughs> He's got eyes like, oh no, what is she going with? Uh, anyways, <laughs> so, anyways um, where was I going? Now I'm totally off track. Um, anyways, so basically when we came back here, you know, our, it was hard. It was really hard to get adjusted back to life here. Um, and so our response was starting Kiara's Gift and being able to advocate for the people um, in Liberia and let you guys know, and so many other people know of the needs that are there. And this was a picture that we just took, oh, that picture. Um, and that was when we were just there in Liberia. That is our Kiara's Gift logo on the side of a Jeep. Um, Reverend Francis and our team in Liberia welcomed us and we actually had a driver and a vehicle so we were able to get around and do things. But um, anyways, we were excited for an opportunity to go back, and um, Craig's going to come and share more with you about what's next. So we, we wanted to build off of the um, scripture readings for today, and so I'm going to just talk to him, um, talk about them briefly, but this is Micah 6.8. If I read it again, it just says, you know, he has shown you, O mortal, I'm used to O man, sorry, O mortal, uh, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Um, it's, it's quite a, um, a challenge for us uh, to think about, you know, what does this mean in our lives? Um, and what does this mean as we try to do this work with Kiara's gift? I mean, really, these, I look at them as, um, these, are, these are requirements. This is what the Lord requires of us. And they're really kind of inspirational requirements or things that inspire what we are trying to do with the organization and what we're trying to do with the ministry of Kiara's gift. Um, so looking at the first one, you know, act justly. What do we mean, what does that mean to act justly? Um, we talked about it a little bit as a family last night and we looked up some things and we tried to figure out what does it mean to act justly? What is justice? And, and basically um, it's to make right. Um, it's a, actually a kind of in the scriptural term, it's a relational thing. It's to be in right relationship with God, vertically, with others around us, horizontally, and, and really with all of creation. Um, it's, and so, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's a way to make things right in the world. It's a way to make things right relationally. Um, and then the other one, uh, if we look at... Oh. <laughs> the lights come on. Um, if we look at, you know, what is loving mercy? So what, what is mercy, really? And it's, it's really this, this idea of, you know, kindness exercise towards someone who is um, uh, not based on their merit whatsoever. They could be completely undeserving. They could be deserving, but it's mercy is kindness demonstrated towards those people. And um, with no merit by the recipient of the kindness. And um, so... The thing about these qualities is these aren't just things that God instructs us to be. These aren't just things that, um, that you know, we're supposed to aspire to. This is very much the essence and nature of the God that we know and serve, um, that he is demonstrating time and time again his love and compassion for those who are, you know, disenfranchised and disinherited and, and the, uh, the unloved and the, um, the people who are in poverty and the vulnerable. So... Um, these are the kind of things that we're trying to um, use as inspiration for the work that Kiara's Gift is, is doing. So Kiara's Gift now is a year old, and um, so I thought I'd just give you a quick little recap of what's kind of happened in the first year. So obviously the main focus uh, of a lot of the work we do is access to education. Um, so this last year we, we sponsored 71 students. Um, and by sponsor, that means we, we covered their school fees. Um, school fees... Are, the cost of going to school is roughly what, what a person can earn in a year, the average person in Liberia. So, you, you know, how does that work? You know, I mean, if you took the average salary of the Bay Area and said, okay, now that's what you got to pay to send your kid to school, you'd be like, there's no way. I mean, I, I know our college is getting close to that, but, um, but not every, and we're talking about grade school all the way up through high school. So it's, it's, a, it's a really an untenable burden for most of the people. Um, and so... Um, by sponsorship, we provide their, we provide their school fees, uh, we pay for uniforms because they can't go to school without uniforms, we provide their supplies, um, we have um, a staff that, that monitors them, caseworkers that monitor them as they're going through the year to make sure they're doing okay. 
But it doesn't help to have all your school fees paid for if you get sick and ill. So we do provide some access to education. This is centered around the students that we're sponsoring and their families. Sometimes, um, you know, maybe a breadwinner of the family is sick and can't work and that puts the whole household at jeopardy, so we may get involved there. Um, but this year, this last year, we had about 18 times, we had exactly 18 times, where we provided uh, treatments, um, access to medical care for those people where we covered the costs um, to make sure they got the care they needed. Um, and this could be a variety of things, from malaria to typhoid um, uh, fever. Um, we had some situations where, um, I don't think we had any big ones this year, we had basically just malaria and typhoid, which are common illnesses um, in Liberia. Um, and then finally, you know, a lot of these families are struggling to put food on the table. And so we, we had 13 different families that we helped at various points with uh, money or food supplements for their, for, for their families so their kids could go to school um, without being hungry. A lot of times it's really common for parents to say, hey, I'm sorry, you can't go to school today because I need you to go sell something in the market to try and make a little money to put food on the table. So we wanted to alleviate some of those things and keep the kids um, in school and focused on that. Um, and then, so the next part of this verse, so Karen's gonna come up and um, this idea of walking humbly with your God. So she's gonna speak about that. So I think, you know, when we first started working with Mercy Ships and then kind of then again into Liberia when the ship was gone, you can you can sometimes have a mindset of, oh, I'm a college graduate, I have money, I'm like better off than some of these people. And you can start to feel like you know what's best. And the more we spend time in Africa, we realize we really don't know what's best. And it's the local people that we have to build relationship with and learn from them. And that's kind of humbling sometimes. But once we learned it, <laughs> it was really helpful. And so we are really grateful to God for a staff um, that we trust, that loves God, and that knows the people of Liberia. And so Craig had mentioned our caseworkers and... Um, where do you... Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, and so this staff um, has time and time again taught us lessons that we don't always understand. Um, I remember the first time that I had a student come to me and say, I'm hungry because I only get two meals a day. Well, to me, I think, well, gosh, three meals a day is very reasonable, right? Well, then I was educated that, you know, most people are really thankful and fortunate to get one nice meal a day. And actually, the funding that we were giving, this was years ago, we were giving some students um, and before Kiara's gift, and they could have actually, if they planned ahead, done a better job and actually probably made three meals out of the funding we gave them, but they were feeling a little lazy and thought maybe they'd get some more out of us. So it was really helpful to have someone say, no, what you're giving them is more than generous, and you don't need to give them any more. And so those are the kinds of things we need to hear because we don't always know in my world and my culture what might feel normal is not necessarily normal there. And so I can't take my culture and put it on someone else. And so we are super grateful for that. But it is very humbling. Um, and so, Craig, why don't you come up next? So we thought we'd give you a chance to just kind of meet the staff a little bit and who they are. Um, this is, this is Reverend Francis Colley. You may have actually already met him because he was here about four years ago, Hans Eric, is that right? Four or five years ago. He even preached one Sunday here because we, he actually, he had, a, he had a trip and he was in New York and I had some united money because they messed up a flight of mine and I was able to fly him here and uh, have him visit. So that was a great opportunity. Um, I first met Reverend Francis about 12 years ago when we first came to Liberia and I joined a group of men um, from the Mercy Ship that were going to the prisons every Saturday morning and we'd go visit uh, the male inmates there. And Francis, in addition to being a pastor, he has his own church there uh, in Liberia and he, he also is the head of prison fellowship in Liberia. So he has a ministry throughout almost all the prisons in the country actually. Um, but the main prison in, in, in Monrovia, Monrovia Central Prison, um, we would go visit uh, 
inmates, and we'd sometimes we'd have something to share with them. Sometimes we'd just sit and talk with them. Sometimes we'd do a Bible study. It kind of depended on the day and what was going on. But Francis became a dear friend, and we shared um, this heart for ministry. And um, so now with Kiara's gift, he is he is our uh, ex- he is our um, operations officer in Liberia. He's the one that's responsible for all of the uh, what's going on there in the country. Um, he is has become um, a very trustworthy and faithful friend and ministry and the uh, partner in the ministry with us. So that's Francis. I'm going to just add on something about Francis in the prison fellowship. So one of the things he did also was that he got years ago had a grant from the U.S. government to send the prisoners' children to school. And so he was used to having a sponsorship program for children. And at that time, he had several hundred prisoners' children that he helped sponsor. And so he kind of had a baseline in terms of how he could do this and have an idea for having caseworkers. And so we are really grateful to be able to steal that idea that he already had had and already had tried and true to kind of use that for Kiara's gift. And so in this model, the caseworkers um, are assigned students. So out of the students, each of the caseworkers started with about 20 students. And that meant that they went, we never give money to people because when you give money, it's tempting to maybe use it for something. Maybe it's something well needed. Maybe it's rent. Maybe it's food. But it's not the purpose of it. And so to take that temptation away, we have the caseworkers go to the school and actually pay the school fees. And we have a contract with the students, um, their students and their parents, that this is the way it's going to work and that they will... um, abide by that. We'd had a problem years ago where people had gone back behind and actually taken out the school fees, um, which was sad because then the children lost out. But so you kind of start to learn. Uh, Sadly, Africa is a very corrupt place uh, due to the desperation and poverty. Um, But these caseworkers help us to stay ahead of that as best as we can. And so these caseworkers, they go pay the school fees, they buy the backpacks, and they start to have a relationship with the children. And so we are just so grateful. We are so encouraged when we went to Liberia and we got to spend some time with them and do some training with them and hear what had worked well, what hadn't. Um, And it was exciting to see how much they loved the kids and um, had really developed a relationship. Well, this is Mammy, and Mammy worked with us... um, when we were back in Liberia, and she was my, I called her my eye nurse, because back then I also didn't give people money if they had a medical need, I, but I did trust Mammy with money, and so I would send her to the hospital with patients, and so she got to know a lot of different patients, and um, she's been with us for a long time. To the right there, I guess your left, um, is a picture of Mammy in her home. Now, for years we sent Mammy maybe about, I don't know, We sent her, I don't know how much we sent her, but we sent her less than $100 probably a month for food because she had a lot of children living with her. She's a single mom, didn't have a job. Some of those children, the gal in the bright pink dress, she is an Ebola orphan. And the little guy in the blue and white um, striped shirt that's sitting on her lap, he also is an Ebola orphan. And Mammy's just one of those people that just brings children in. She loves them. If they don't have a home, she's going to find a home for them. But Mammy, not only did she bring in all these people, she's very resourceful. And the house that she's, that room that she's in, she built that with her own hands, with money that she saved off of the food money that we would send her monthly. So somehow she managed to multiply the funds. And it reminds me very much of the story in the scriptures where they were given money. And what did they do? Did they bury it or did they invest it? And Mammy is one of those people that has invested it and has turned into so much more than I could have ever imagined. And I'm so, so proud of her and who she is. But she is our supervisor and oversees um, all of the caseworkers, the other three, and works very closely with Francis. Caitlin, why don't you come up and tell us about the other three caseworkers? Okay, so um, we have three caseworkers, um, and they were chosen by um, Francis and then consulted us as well to choose them. Um, these are people that we trust and who know these families and these communities um, and who really have a heart for service, and honest, meeting them was such a pleasure. Um, they've been working so hard throughout the entire year. Um, so our first caseworker here is Lopu. She is Mammy's firstborn daughter. Um, and actually, when we were living in Liberia, we gave, we helped her get through school, and she graduated high school. And then from there, she went to 
um, a computer tech school. Um, so now she has that source of education that not many have, and it's definitely a privilege, and she's been able to use those skills um, as a caseworker for us. Um, this is Isaac. Um, we actually had not met Isaac before this trip, but it was someone who's in Reverend Francis's church and who he trusts a lot. Um, and he has also done such a great job with the kids and been very involved. Um, we do, I think, require a lot in terms of in general in Liberia from our caseworkers. We, they all have a schedule of when they're going to go visit kids. And everything is, you know, every little thing is a lot. So the fact that they're willing to go out every day and they have a schedule and they meet with these kids and they talk to them about their problems um, is such a blessing that they're willing to do all of that. Oh. Um, and they will get there through taxis or by motorcycles. Um, sometimes you have to go through multiple taxis or motorcycles depending on where you're traveling to. Um, but it's definitely not exactly easy what we're asking them to do. Um, and this is J-Girl. Um, I don't know if any of you remember Musu. She was one of our nannies that we worked closely with while we were living in Liberia. Um, I think we'll talk more about her later. No, we okay, we won't. Never Sorry. mind. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so she's also very near and dear to our hearts. Um, but J-Girl was living with her um, while we were there. Um, but J-Girl's family, actually, both her parents were able to make enough money that they were able to send her to school. Um, but then um, that money ran out, and she was left without... Her dad lost his job, and so then we helped with school fees to get her through high school, and she also went to computer tech school. Um, so they all know how these new special skill sets. Um, but really, once again, it's amazing what they're willing to do. And while we were there, we had long days. And they were there through it all. And they played with the kids. Um, and they do little things like they'll braid the girl's hair, which doesn't sound like a lot. But oftentimes, if your hair isn't done for school, they won't let you sit in on the lesson. Um, so they definitely do a lot for us. And without them working with the kids, we would not be able to do what we are able to do it all since we are here um, and we don't have the resources. So these people have definitely been a blessing to us and to Kiara's gift, and we are so lucky to have them. So, okay. okay, Caleb. Caleb's going to come up and talk about the second verse, uh, second reading today, and his connection to it. Um, so many of you know that I was confirmed last week and that was really a privilege for me to have such great teachers and mentors and just to better know God's word and how much he loves us and all that. And we really want that for our students too. So, um, And this verse really well sums it up. Um, and it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we really want to help these children have the privilege of knowing God, and that's why we had a vacation Bible school for them for three of the days that we were there. And while we were there, we played some games, and soccer on the left or on your right, it was a great, very popular choice, and so was jump rope, which is on your left, the picture on the left. And we also led them in some crafts where we helped them make bracelets that had their names on it and also paint some crosses. We, uh, and since it was an all-day event, we also had lunch provided for them, and there on your left, it shows a picture of Mammy with a big bowl of rice that she made and brought from home. And we also read Bible stories, or my mom read Bible stories um, from this Bible uh, that has great, uh, is, is great at describing and uh, the stories that are, that help teach them. And then after we broke off into smaller groups led by the caseworkers to help discuss and reinforce the ideas that were talked about in the story. And here's Caitlin. Hi again. Um, so I'm here to talk 
um, a little bit about two of um, our students um, who've had medical issues. So we talk about education and also how um, the problems they've had medically um, play into that. Um, so this is photo is from 2009, um, and this is Silas. He's on the um, left, sorry, um, and that's him, and he had a feeding tube. So what happened to Silas was he drank um, caustic soda. Oh, well. Um, so caustic soda um, in its pure form is like a white powdery substance, but um, when mixed in with water, it dissolves. So um, and caustic soda is used usually to straighten the girl's hair to do it. Um, so, you know, when it's just sitting there, it looks like water and they're thirsty, then they'll drink it. And that's what happened to Silas. Um, so when he drank it, it basically burned his esophagus as it went down. And over time, it created a scar tissue. So he was unable to eat normally because there was no way to get the food into his stomach. Um, my mom met Silas and his mom in um, JFK Hospital, which is the government hospital in downtown Monrovia. Um, and his mom, Kema, just came up to my mom and said, I need your help. Because um, there was no way that she had the funds to get him the nourishment that he needs. Because obviously, if you can't eat, then you're not nourished. And that just causes a whole bunch of problems and lowers your chances of survival by a lot. Um, so my mom was able to help Silas and Kema, and we got him a feeding tube, and we sh this is us showing them how to use it, um, and we were able to make sure he got nourished again. He was actually, when we first met him, he was the poster child for caustic soda kids. He was extremely malnourished, um, but here he's able to actually get nourishment. Um, oh, yes, and you guys helped send him to Kenya for the very... Um, basically life-saving, essentially, surgery, where they removed the scarred part of the esophagus and basically brought his stomach up so he'd be able to eat again. Um, so that, so thanks to you guys, he was able to get nourishment again. Um, here's Silas this past summer. Um, over time, he's, so he no longer has the feeding tube, and he had been dilated somewhat, his esophagus had, so he'd be able to eat. Um, but then again, after the surgery, scar tissue began to build up again, where they connected his esophagus after cutting that part out. Um, so he's having difficulties again. Um, so basically, he had been trying to eat things like rice, and he had not been able to get it down. So he'd be trying to eat, but then he couldn't, so he would throw up. Um, and it was just this constant struggle, and he wasn't getting any nourishment. So when my dad and I were there last summer, um, they told us about this, and we took him to the hospital to do a barium swallow. So basically, they have like a solution of barium that's about the consistency of milk, and they'll have you swallow it. And um, after swallowing it, they'll do like a scan, an X-ray, and it'll light up on the scan to see like what the issue is. Um, so looking at that, we were able to see that he has a pocket around like his throat area, the beginning of his esophagus, where it would just get stuck because he had been just trying to eat so many different things and shoving it down. So what we had learned was that he would eat something and then he would push on his throat to try to get it down his esophagus because it wouldn't go down naturally. Um, and this solution that was about the consistency of milk, um, after 20 minutes, which it should have been in his stomach by then, definitely, was barely, was just at the beginning of his esophagus because the hole was so tight in his esophagus from all the buildup of the scar tissue that it could not get down. So that was definitely eye-opening for us of realizing how little he's being able to be nourished and that leads to lots of sicknesses and not being able to go to school. Um, and so he he's actually my age or around my age and he is not even to my shoulders. So that shows you how malnourished he's been. And um, because of all the times he's thrown up food, because he can't get it down his esophagus, the stomach acid has begun to like eat away at his teeth and at his gums. So much so that he's in, always in extreme pain and he can't chew. So there's just a lot of issues that have come out of this that we've been trying to help with. And there's only so much doctors can do a bit at a time. Um, but um, luckily, um, we took him to the hospital again this year. My parents and my dad, they went back to 
JFK Hospital. And they actually met a doctor that we had known during our time there, Dr. Sherman. Um, he's a Liberian doctor that we worked very closely with. And he looked at Silas and he said, you know, there's not anything I can do really right now, but I am trying to start a dilation program for kids like Silas. He says, last time I checked, there are over 200 kids who are in the same situation as Silas who desperately need help. So we are going to be working with Dr. Sherman in the future to try to start that dilation program for Silas and other kids like him who desperately need it. Um, because really, there is, with this, all these medical issues, it's, there's no way to live. It's hard. And um, so, yeah, so hopefully that goes really well. And we're excited that we have this opportunity with Dr. Sherman. That was definitely a blessing. Um, since we really didn't know what we were going to be able to do with him, we did think about getting another feeding tube. Um, but, you know, Silas didn't want to do that because he wanted to go to school. So we are so grateful that we met Dr. Sherman again, and we're hopefully able to take steps in the near future um, to help him with dilating, and then he can actually eat regularly like he used to. Um, and then again, this is Alfred. Um, some of you may remember him from when we talked about him last summer. Um, Alfred, that, him on the far left, that is his kindergarten graduation. Um, and he graduated the top of his class, and his mom carries around that photo because she's just so proud of him. Um, but after that, he got hit by a car and then was blind. So that middle photo there is his mom, Nancy, and Alfred is on her, his back, on her back because she can't, he doesn't know how to live as someone who's blind. Um, so she just carries him on her back because um, she doesn't know what else to do with him. Um, and so we actually, Mammy, as my mom was saying, is her eye nurse, and Mammy was at Cooper Eye Clinic in Monrovia, and Nancy and Alfred were there um, trying to see if there's anything to do to see if that it was a permanent blindness or something that could be fixed. Um, and the doctor said, no, he will always be blind. There is no way to help him. Um, and so Mammy was there as they got the news, and Alfred told his mom that it was going to be okay. Um, All right. So Mammy said everyone burst into tears, just like me. (laughs) Um, And Mammy brought Alfred to us to see if there's anything we could do. Um, Obviously, there was no medical answer for Alfred um, and his blindness, but maybe there was something else that we could do to help Nancy and Alfred. Um, So my mom was able to find a blind school in Monrovia, which is really shocking, actually, that they would have a blind school. Um, but we were able to get him enrolled, and um, since then, Alfred has just thrived. Um, he now is able to walk by himself and dress himself and read in Braille. Um, and so this is him now. Um, um, and he is doing, and actually he's graduated from the blind school and will be going to regular school for the first time. Um, but he is <laughs> sorry, I always cry when I talk in front of this church. It's the really bad thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't think there are any words to describe how Alfred is as an individual. Um, he loves the word, he loves God. He's such a servant of God, and he doesn't hold any resentment um, for what happened to him at all. And he's just an amazing individual that it's been a pleasure to know him and to see him grow up into who he is today. Um, And I mean, I don't know what other people who've gone through everything that he has, but still is able to smile every day. Um... Okay, so I think I'm done crying. Um, um, so yeah, I don't know who's supposed to talk next, but okay, my mom's next. I guess she gets that for me. 
But Alfred is just a walking miracle, not in the sense that um, God has healed him and he's been able to see again, but because God has restored his soul to a place that he radiates God's love. And um, Reverend Francis has a very special place in his heart for Alfred. He calls him a preacher. Alfred will come, and when we had our group discussions, they had a chance for the students, some of the students to stand up and share. And Alfred just would stand up there, and he'd preach. He knows the Bible. He knows the Word of God. And he loves God so greatly. And it's really just been amazing to watch him continue to thrive and grow and be an inspiration to his family. His mom had a really hard time understanding why God would allow this to happen. And yet Alfred would just say, it's okay, Mama. It's going to be okay. And um, so we've been felt so privileged to be able to watch him grow up and um, grow into the young man he is today. Um, and Caitlin already started talking about um, Dr. Sherman, and that was really an exciting thing. I had worked with this picture here of the gentleman standing between Craig and I as Dr. Sh- Lawrence Sherman. Uh, at the time when we were in Liberia, he was the only residency-trained outside of Liberia surgeon in the entire country. And he was one of the best. And when the ship sailed away and left us behind, I made it my purpose in life to find out every good doctor in Liberia because I worried about what would happen if something happened to my family and who would be able to help us. And uh, Dr. Sherman was definitely on my cell phone speed dial, and um, but just has a heart for Liberian people and wants to continue to stay and work in the country. Um, and he has moved all over to lots of different government hospitals, but is just now back um, to this, uh, the JFK, which is in Monrovia. And so um, we are excited at the opportunity to possibly partner with them. Um, we didn't really talk so much about our board members. Zach Nesper is one of our board members, as is Craig Swanson, Christina Swanson's husband, for those of you who know him. He's a pediatric intensivist in the Sacramento area. And then our other board member, other than Craig and I, is uh, Kristen Chapman. Um, who was in Liberia with us, has adopted several, uh, two Liberian children, and um, has a master's in education. So we are grateful to the board and the advisors that we have um, as part of Kiara's gift. And one of the things Craig said as we were talking, not my husband Craig, Craig Swanson, Dr. Swanson, um, said was we were talking about Silas. He said, if we're going to try to help Silas again, we need to make sure that the infrastructure in the country is going to be able to support him. And as we thought about that, we said, there's got to be other kids like Silas that have this problem and need to be dilated. And so um, the fact that we were able to meet Dr. Sherman again and um, be able to potentially partner with him, we're excited. He said, you know, Karen, all I need is these these filiform little dilators, little plastic dilators that they stick down in the esophagus, and the kids have to come in weekly, and they stick this down, and they slowly bake a bigger, bigger thing with the idea that it will slowly stretch the esophagus so that they'll be able to swallow food or at least liquids again. And, um, you know, they, these kids, because it does take so much effort to eat, they UNICEF has a couple of pro, uh, products. One's called Plumpy Nut. It's this peanut butter substance. And then there's also a high-protein milk um, that they have often had feeding programs with all over the world. Um, and they had in Liberia, sadly, with corruption. They're for sale in the market. Um, and those that really need it aren't getting it for free. So we're hoping that we can work with Dr. Sherman to get a dilation program at the government hospital to help you know, probably hundreds of children, um, and then also then go to UNICEF and say, look, we now have this dilation program. Will you please consider starting a feeding program again at this government hospital to be able to help these children get nourishment? So we're excited at the potential opportunity for that um, and know that that was part of the reason that God had us there was so that we could have that meeting. Um, And through the life of one child that God brought to our door, hopefully hundreds will be helped. And we just want to say thank you to those of you who have prayed for us over the years that have helped sponsor children and to say thank you for all that you've done and also ask, will you continue to help us bring hope to those in Liberia? The needs are great, um, much greater than our family could begin to even handle, and we um, look forward to opportunities to continue to share with other groups as well about the needs in Liberia. Uh, Reverend Francis just sent us a list of hopeful children, and there are 80 children this year that are hoping to be part of Kiara's gift and be able to have the gift of education. Uh, Some of those new students um, are um, 
Kiara's sisters, her siblings, we're hoping we'll be able to get um, education for the two that have had a hard time staying consistently in school. So um, anyways, thank you so much for letting us share. And I think I'll have everyone come up here and give you guys a chance to ask us any questions you might have um, before we close. So Hans Eric, I don't know if you have a mic or whatever, but if or I can repeat a question, does anyone have any questions for us? Just just ask the question, we'll repeat it. How much does it cost to send one child to school for one year? Well, it varies based on the child and what, if they're elementary, if they're upper grades, but roughly about, what did he say? $425 just for the tuition. That's everything. Oh, sorry, that's for everything. Uh, Craig will answer the question. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, okay. That's, that is, that's everything. That's the tuition. Um, uniforms which are always required it's the supplies that they need to have a book bag um, copy books pencils stuff like that and then um, oftentimes depending on what grade they're in there might be a graduation expense um, basically they they have a lot of rules at schools in Liberia and uh, uh, it's not the way I would run things but if the school says hey if you don't pay your graduation expense you're not graduating from eighth grade into high school so so we pay those as well because we want to see the kids move on so certain grades, I think kindergarten, sixth grade, eighth grade, and twelfth grade, you have a graduation expense as well. So we try to do everything to make sure there's, we're trying to remove barriers to keep the kids in school. So about $425 is what we, we are at right now. Other questions? Yes, Nicole. Sure. Right, right. Yeah, so we're, we're absolutely willing to, um, you know, expand. You know, we, we really see a lot of our role as um, being advocates for those that are there in Liberia. You know, we're kind of feel like we're this bridge between, you know, what we, what we see, have seen there and what we see here. And uh, I think a lot of people, if they, if they understood how they could tangibly help somebody, they would. But they don't necessarily know. They don't know how. They don't. Maybe they don't even trust organizations that are doing it. So we're, we see. We absolutely are willing to talk to other churches and other places. So um, at the back, we actually um, have little flyers. It just says Kiara's gift, and on the back, it just kind of sells a little tagline about us and has our website. So feel free to take um, one of these if you want to give it to a friend. They're welcome to um, look at that, and we'd be more than happy to come talk to any group. Um, in the past, we've talked to Los Altos Rotary and different things, like when we've come back from Mercy Ships and stuff like that and had the opportunity. So, you know me, I love to talk. So I'm happy to, um, to share with any group if you bring it to us. Charlene Matthews. So the question is, of the 80 students, are the majority of them elementary, or where are they? Um, I'll let Craig answer the statistical thing, but I will say that you'd be surprised to see that there are like 12-year-olds uh, that are like in first grade, and that's because they've never had a chance to go, um, and you have to start somewhere. Um, and so, anyways, Craig, you can answer the stats, if you know. I don't have the exact stats, but it's a pretty good mix of elementary, middle school, and high school. Uh, students at this time and we last year we had one that was in a trade school um, we I don't think we have her this year but we also 
are open to considering, you know, post high school education, other trade school or university when it makes sense. So we're, we're we expect to kind of see the students march up through and um, and as when we as we get there, we'll have to think about that, how we support it. But it's a pretty good mix of of elementary, middle and high school. Zach. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the <laughs> Zach's leading the leading the witness here. Um, <laughs> so, there's a process by which you start up a nonprofit, and you know uh, we've done all of the stuff that's kind of in our control. And one of the last things we need to do is get what's called a 501c3 um, charitable status from the federal government. And we have that application in. It's been in about four months. They don't give you a lot of feedback about where you're at in that process. Um, we, they, I did get a letter that said um, it takes between 90 and 180 days. So we're kind of in the middle of that range. So we're kind of expecting any day now to, uh, to hear from them and to be able to kind of stand on our own two feet as an organization, as a charity. What we were doing in the meantime, and this is commonplace when starting up nonprofits, is you kind of have a sponsoring agency that is already a nonprofit that agrees to receive funds and channel them to you because you're in line with their charitable purpose. And that's what Foothill has done for the last year. Um, so right now, the giving, we can receive funds directly, but we can't issue a tax receipt for that gift. Right. So if you don't care, we can do it, no problem. But if you want a tax receipt, the, the way to do that is to give through Foothill and, um, and then Foothill runs it through the Liberia Fund and gives it to Kiara's gift. Um, sorry? Yeah, so, and, and if you go through our website, it actually redirects you into the Foothill website giving thing automatically. So that's how we're set up today. Um, it really, it'd be fantastic if you guys could pray for that because, like I said, we don't have a lot of control or, or even insight to where we're at with the government. I don't know, you know, um, I, don't, I don't really have any visibility, but we're just praying that that will come through and we'll be able to uh, um, be all completely uh, separated from Foothill, at least in that regard, just launched. Yeah, it'll, it'll enable one other thing, which is the ability to kind of do for people to sign up to give monthly. A lot of people like to do that, have it automatically go on a debit card or a credit card or from their bank account. Um, but we can't really do that until we're, we have this in place. So, Chris. Yeah, so you wanna answer that? Yeah. It's quite honestly, it's amazing to me that he's actually doing as well as he is, like, in other words, like standing up and like functioning because <laughs> uh, he's been really malnourished for a very long time. Um, I've kind of had lots of discussions for the last six months with him and his mom about getting the feeding tube put back in place, and they've been very, very resistant to it. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we were there, we had some hard conversations and I asked her and Silas to be open to the possibility of having that feeding tube put back in. One of the things Dr. Sherman said is that with the pocket in his esophagus, it's called a mega esophagus, and that if he continues to get food trapped in there, it will just keep stretching, 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 and there will be a time when he won't ever, even if we can open him up, he won't ever be able to really swallow normally without pocketing food there. So... That was the first time when Dr. Sherman explained that to, to Kema and Silas that I saw a little glimmer in their eyes of thinking, okay, maybe we would do this. So Dr. Sherman um, is going to start seeing Silas on a regular basis now that we know he's back at the local hospital. That's another thing to be praying for. Um, one of the things I said to Kema, um, promising without the... <laughs> without having the actual resources to promise, but saying that I was going to do everything I could, um, is that when we were there before, we got this Nito. It's a, it's a high-fat uh, milk powder. Um, we did that, and we took the plumpy nut, and we mixed that together with some oil and some sugar. And she was able to make this high-protein, high-fat um, kind of formula that she was able to give to Silas. And so um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to... I, no, we've already decided we're not going to give her money to do that, but we would have Mammy uh, go to the market procure all these things and on and you know whether it's every two weeks we're trying to decide how often because you don't want to give her too much and then it'd be wasted away um, but that we would give her 
the food supplies and she would then be able to nourish Silas. She's hopeful that he'll be able to actually take that formula and actually get it down. Um, so we'll see if he's able to do that. Um, but that's been her big thing is she doesn't have the money and so she gets like things like oatmeal or porridge um, or rice and it just doesn't, you know, when I first met him, he had core sugar, core protein malnourishment and he's not there yet, but um, I fear that he'll get there again. So starting the dilation would be very helpful. So, yeah. MJ. So the question is, how does it work when you have 80 kids that want to go and you might not have enough funds? Well, MJ, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thankfully, God has provided miraculously, and we haven't had to say no. But uh, we are trying to sponsor those that have already shown that they are actually being able to do it. So those are the ones that are first up on the list, and I hope and pray that I won't have to cut any of them. Only God really knows how this is going to happen. And quite honestly, this is so beyond me that if I like start to think about it, I can like start to not have, I'd have sleepless nights. So I have to trust that God who's been faithful will continue to be faithful. And I don't expect that, I mean, this is such a small church. I have no aspirations that all of our answers are going to come from here. We have a lot of other people that are excited about what we're doing and are also wanting to help sponsor. But um, it is hard in the beginning days. So I don't really have an answer for you. Okay. If you have a child that's going and they get three years of education, do you keep getting that child the same? Yes. Yeah. So the wonder is, do we, do we split the children? No, we have not. We, we want them to continue to grow. We want them to continue to uh, move forward in their education. Because if you pause them, then you, then you go back 10 steps. You know, you know what it's like for, for these of your parents, or you remember your kids, you know, over the summer months, they kind of forget their math facts. And it's those first few weeks is kind of hard. Um, and so we want to try to keep them going as best we can. Yeah. I know we're kind of going over here. So any last questions? Anything for my kids? Oh, Nicole? awesome. <laughs> so Nicole's saying advertise the next door and have a bake sale. Well, if you feel led to do that, amen. Um, but for now, we, I think we need to close this service up and I think we're going to sing. Stay here, stay here, oh, okay. Let me say a prayer here. Let's say a prayer for the Ecklands. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for this word of hope, both from the scripture and from this news that's happening, and the, the need, though, is in front of us. And so we pray for generosity from many sources to help the children in Liberia. Amen.